Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to appreciate each and every one of you for taking time to listen uh, to this podcast and listen to our series on Matthew. We start Matthew chapter 6 today. Uh, give me some feedback. Uh, if you have any questions in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you can send the question in, uh, whether on social media, uh, Victor M. Jackson on our Instagram, uh, or our website, BibleCenterOrlando.com, or, um, or through uh, the Spotify uh, that allows you to ask questions. But I've, I've been excited about breaking down the Word of God, and I pray that this has been a blessing to you. So let, let's get into this. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Um, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will not have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And we're going to stop there, reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 18. Um, in the middle of these discourses, these, these D discourses are are long and 
because these discourses are long, I'm I'm splitting them up. Uh, after we get uh, to after chapter seven, we'll be able to go uh, chapter by chapter again. Uh, but initially, uh, these discourses are very long, and so uh, I don't want you to have to you know tune into this episode for four and a half hours. Although I have the ability to speak that long, I want to make it where it's bearable. So we talked yesterday about Matthew uh, giving a kingdom lifestyle that is greater than cultural lifestyle. We talked about the disciples living their lives within context of eternity, not within the context of time. Um, where the emphasis is on eternal principles and eternal, eternal uh, consciousness over time, secular, worldly consciousness. The disciples are, are commanded to walk uh, to the drum of a different beat. Um, we are to walk in step with the spirit, not walk in step with the culture. And by byproduct of walking and living differently, having a different mindset than the culture, uh, there will be tension. There will be uh, pushback. There, there will be uh, an, an oddity. You, you will stand out um, whenever you walk in step with another world. But Matthew is illuminating the superiority of Jesus to, to all the rabbis and the teachings of the rabbis in the past that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And the emphasis of the kingdom is how it, it is internal, but it, it moves out into external actions and behaviors. So Jesus is dealing with the source here. And Matthew is showing that his disciples are doing their behaviors not, not from a perspective of society or culture, but from an, an influence of the kingdom, a kingdom lifestyle. And that these kingdoms are able to, this kingdom is able to be lived in time, in real life, that, that the kingdom is not just something abstract, but it's something that can be taken from heaven and pulled down into time. Uh, this is why there are a lot of Christians that are, that are really tired of, of the church because uh, a lot of churches keep things abstract. They keep the kingdom abstract. So they'll say, you got to love, you got to love, you got to love. But the people never see that kingdom of love 
demonstrated in daily actions. And so what happens is people get bored on the pews because they do not see examples of the kingdom. And the kingdom is more than just talk. The kingdom is in action. And so people get frustrated in their faith because they're waiting for the kingdom to show itself in their vicinity, in their community, in their lives, and in friends that are around them. Uh, But the problem is some people keep it to an abstract world where the kingdom is talked about, but it's rarely demonstrated. But it's when the kingdom is demonstrated that the kingdom gains ground. It's when the kingdom is demonstrated that there is a sparkle that comes back into a Christian's eye that where they begin to see the reality of Jesus Christ, that he did not die just for you to have a theological construct of what the cross is, but he died so you don't have to walk in that depression every day. Uh, He died so you don't have to walk in that anxiety every day. He died so you don't have to walk in that fear every day. He died so you don't have to live subjected to abuse every day. He died so you can have the courage to stand up for yourself on your job. He died uh, so, so you can have the courage to live righteously in the world, where you are in this world but not of this world. And see, when whenever you start putting kingdom principles into action, there is an excitement. There, there is an excitement in living for God. It's, a, it's an adventure. And, and it was designed to penetrate our daily lives, how we treat everyone. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful thing, to be honest with you. And, um, and that the kingdom is seen through our relationships. And, you know, uh, some people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I like just living for God, just me and God. Well, well, then you can't advance the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the fruit of the spirit, which is uh, one of them is temperance and long suffering. The fruit of the spirit are only relative uh, within the context of community. If we have no community, there's no need for self-control. If we have no community, there's no need for long-suffering. You can't just stay in a room by yourself, never talking to anybody and say, man, I'm very long-suffering. Man, I'm very, I have a lot of control. Man, I have patience. No, it's the community that tests to see if you have it. It's when someone is getting on your nerves and you are showing long suffering. It is when someone is uh, uh, punching all the right buttons to get you angry that you see if you have self-control. We see if you have the influence of the kingdom or not. And so the kingdom is, is seen through opposition, through tension, through community. And, and to rid our lives from these things entirely would be a disservice to the kingdom of God. And so the, the, the weight of the kingdom is seen in our horizontal relationships. When you see Matthew chapter 5 and through chapter 7, you see the bulk of his kingdom. He's teaching on how to have vertical relationship with him and how that is supposed to impact your horizontal relationship with others. Uh, 
And if you do not treat others well, then you do not have a good relationship with the Father. Because it's our proximity to the Father that shows our our love to others. Our, 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 how we treat others shows how much we love God. And how can we have love the Father who we have not seen if we do not love our brothers who we do see? You see, what I'm doing in this podcast is I am penetrated the box the boxes that we have set around God, where we love God but we hate our brother. We love God but we hate our sister. And he said, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, he says, you're a liar and and you don't have God in you. This is scripture. And, And what's happened is we have allowed the culture to penetrate the church where we can confess and, and speak in tongues and pray one day, but then trying to destroy, uh, people that are made in the image of God another day. And these things ought not be so. Because how we treat other people, it shows if we are in proper standing with the kingdom. And how we treat one another shows our relationship with God. And it shows our reverence for God. I, I treat I want to treat everyone right because I um because I consider their dad and their dad is God. So I want to treat God's children correct. I, 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 I am very reverent uh, in that regard. I'm very, um, very careful with how I handle God's people because I'm not living in according to how they treat me. I'm living in according to the father. And so God is introducing a new standard to live by, not a societal standard, but a standard that comes from heaven. This is how we change the world is what I'm telling you. This is how we change the world when we walk in these kingdom principles. So let's get into it. Verse one, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret. And your father, which sees in secret himself, shall reward you openly. So he's talking about the contrast in the kingdom is that these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees that they were they were giving, uh, but the problem is that they were getting giving with wrong motives. And this is a powerful thing that Matthew is showing, and this is the distinction of the kingdom, where one person is doing the right thing uh, with right motives, uh, another is doing the right thing with wrong motives. So, so while one person can uh, give 
and it's coming out of right mo- motives to, you know, uh, expand the kingdom. It says another person gives so they can get glory of men and how much money they, they've given. But in the kingdom, it's a different standard. Remember when Jesus watches the people give? And when he watches them give, he says, when, when he watches them give, he says, um, he says, hey, uh, some are casting forth out of their abundance. And while some are casting forth out of their abundance, um, there's a widow that casts in two mites of all of her living. And he said that she gave more uh, because she gave all. She had less, but she gave more because she ha- she gave all. And so what he's presenting here is that there is a different kingdom standard. Uh that 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 it's about the the heart placement and how we are giving and and, and it, it, he he's putting the motive in not how you are received outwardly but in how we are received eternally It's about how we are, it's not about how we're received culturally, but how we're received in his kingdom, that that he is focusing on the audience of one, that this has to be, the only way for there to be purity is if he, there is an audience of one, where it's good to give to the homeless, but, but, but it makes people feel funny whenever we do a selfie with the homeless person and only the person taking that selfie can know between them and God, if they're doing this to meet a need or if they're doing this to try to go viral and be seen or be known about what, what a good person they are. I was a little radical with this whenever I traveled uh, for a decade. Um, when I traveled for a decade internationally, um, I was, uh, I made sure, I, I remember when I first started, I put a post of like some results that happened. And after I did it, God convicted me because I'm not the one that produced those results. God is the one that produced those results. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to put any results of my meeting or how many people are there. I'm not going to post what conferences I'm doing and the thousands of people. And I'm not going to post anything. I'm just going to keep that between me and God. And that's what I did for 10 years. I never put a post if you looked at my Instagram or my Facebook or anything like that for 10 years, I never posted where I was or what I was doing. You wouldn't even know that I was a preacher because I never put any pictures because I just wanted to make sure that I was living for the audience of one, that I wasn't doing or preaching or doing these works to get applauded by men and women, but I'm doing this to please God. 
And I wanted to establish that I'm living for God, not 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 the applause of men. And it was a healthy thing. It was a beautiful thing. Um, when we started pastoring, it, it's different now because uh, we have to have uh, some type of uh, internet presence. Uh, people want to know what's going on. Uh, the days of people driving uh, around town uh, with a yellow book uh, looking for a church, those days are, are are done. People, first they go online. So people want to know what's going on. So now it's different. I'm sharing uh, things. I'm sharing the podcast. I'm sharing my book. I'm sharing all of this uh, because we have to share the word. We have to get it out, get it, get it out there. And I have... Uh, I, me and God know that it's it's from a pure place because I've already established a foundation of 10 years not posting a thing about myself. And, and, and now I'm comfortable doing it because me and God already fought that battle. Anything that I'm posting is to put the word of God out there. And if, if the news and all of these other false ideologies are going to be using uh, the media to pr- propagate their doctrine. How much more should I do for the doctrine of Jesus Christ that can transform lives and bring people out of darkness into his marvelous light? And so I'm not worried about how that's looked at or perceived, whether that's perceived as humble or whether that's perceived as prideful. I'm not concerned with that. I'm living for the audience of one. As long as me and God are good, that's what matters. And that is what Matthew is propagating here, that it, when you give in secret, that, that your father would sees in secret that he's going to reward you openly. When he says, don't sound the trumpet before you, uh, you know, many believe in the synagogues that the offering ba- basket was trumpet-shaped. That whenever you gave to it, it would make a sound. Uh, some people believe that, and some others they believe it's just hyperbole. That he, that you, you, someone like blowing a trumpet that that never happened, but it's possible that Jesus was using hyperbole to illustrate a point on how people make these announcements of their great giving, and they say you get your reward, you get your reward from men. But a greater reward is your eternal reward. And, and, and the eternal reward comes from a place of, of relationship with the Father. And so the disciples, they may give just like the Pharisees and Sadducees are given, but it's a different fuel. One's giving to be seen, the other's giving to glorify God. Verse 5, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Again, he presents the same concept, you know, that 
when he says hypocrite, he's using a Greek word to to uh, show as a, an actor, uh, uh, someone that is that is that is uh, acting. It's it's alluding to a Greek actor that would put on a mask. And and so with the person giving, he's talking about the problem is you only give when it's public. You never give in secret. And it's the same thing with prayer. It's like, listen, you only pray in public to show yourself. You never pray in private. And he says that's hypocritical. He's saying the focus of our, our prayer should be on, on the Father. And, and it should be from a, a heavenly disposition, a, a heavenly posture. And that God will reward us secretly. So, so he's, he's taking the eyes off of the public and going to the private. And that's, that's something about the kingdom that's powerful. That I'm not living for the applause or the approval of others. I'm living to please God. It, it is a shift of direction that was so countercultural in Matthew's time, because what these guys demonstrated, the corrupt religious system, was that everything was about a show and a performance. It wasn't coming from a place of heart transformation. And 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 these are these are things that are super, you know, uh, critical for for kingdom effectiveness. That. In order for there to be longevity in the kingdom and longevity of habits, spiritual habits, you have to learn how to not be celebrated. 30 years of Jesus' life, he wasn't celebrated. He learned how to thrive in the mundane. He learned how to thrive in secret. He learned If there is a gift that we need to get we need to get the gift of learning how to make progress in secret. Jesus did not expose his gift too early. He was not intimidated by the ministry of John the Baptist, and he wasn't uh, intimidated by the ministry of anyone in the rabbis. He had enough trust in who he was that he was able to be in a secret place for 30 years before anybody knew his name. And many times people are loud with their giving and loud with their prayer and loud in public because they have little to offer in private. It's coming from a place of insecurity. Oh, I'm doing something too. Oh, I'm giving too. Oh, oh, I'm praying too. Oh, I'm spiritual too. It's insecure. Jesus had such a security within himself. He was willing to be hidden for 30 years. And he was hidden for 30 years, but he was growing. He was thriving. He was growing in wisdom and in favor with God and man, according to the writings. And if you're ever going to build something of lasting consequence, you have to learn how to thrive when nothing is happening. You have to learn how to thrive when nobody knows your name. I'm talking to somebody listening right now. You've got to learn to do the work. You've got to learn to pray. You've got to learn 
uh, and and Paul would later talk about this. He said, "Don't do your work as men pleasers. Don't 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 do work just to get a pat on the back or affirmation. You, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. I'm doing this for God. I'm not doing this for man." If you're going to build anything of lasting consequence, if you're going to have an amazing ministry, if you're going to have uh, be an effective businessman or businesswoman, if you're going to be an effective any effective things in 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 life, you have to thrive on working in secret. Apple started in a garage. Microsoft started in a garage. Some of the greatest things that we get to partake of today is started in secret. I'm telling you what God is saying here is, 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 is stop projecting yourself publicly to be being something that you're not do the work and create a root system. It's like one of those buildings. I believe it was in Thailand. It happened several years ago. There was a large hotel and this hotel had so many rooms. And there were so many rooms, and it was such a popular hotel that they started building on top of the hotel more and more rooms. Years and years went by. They kept building more and more rooms on top of this hotel. And it was going up really high. And then all of a sudden, within three seconds, the whole thing came crashing down. And when they looked at what the problem was, the problem was is that because they wanted to be quick and still make money, they kept building on top, here it is, without strengthening and lengthening the foundation. See, to strengthen and lengthen the foundation, that means you have to take a pause for a moment and do some deep work. But they were so grateful for the applause and for the out in front that they kept on building on top and what was seen, but it was what was not seen that caused the downfall. You have to learn to take root downward and bear fruit upward. We have to learn how to love the process of being hidden. It's fulfilling. It's fulfilling because there's only so much you can get done in front of people. Any athlete, when they're working on a new move or a new shot or or something new, they do it in the off season and they don't have any cameras on them because they want to show it in the real game. They learn how to thrive in the off season. So what Matthew is saying here is our, our motivation for prayer, he's not against public prayer. He's not against public giving. But Jesus is against the wrong motives. And all of us know people that do things with the wrong motive. Like they do the right thing, but, it, but you almost feel like, ah, it looks like they were more focused on themselves with that. And people can feel it. People, people know when something's coming from a good place or not. But he gives the promise. When you do it in secret, God is watching and he's going to reward you openly. And we have to trust that. We have to have faith in that principle. 
that God will reward us for what we do in secret. The only time we pray can't be in public. It can't just be on Sundays or Wednesdays. It's a beautiful thing to have a daily walk. And you see, there, you can either receive a reward from society or you can receive a reward from the Father. You can either receive a reward from society or a reward from the Father. You're going to get a reward, but you have to choose where it's coming from. See, a disciple is moving with a purity that is different from the culture. He says, but when you pray, verse 7, don't use vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask them. So what what was common with the Gentiles, with these pagans, was that they would use vain repetitions to try to get what they want. Uh, they would pray in, a, in an abracadabra way, just muttering the same thing over and over like a hocus pocus. And he's saying, don't, don't do vain repetitions. Don't do, the power is not in how well you do the repetition. He said, because, listen, your father knows what things you have need of before you ask them. So he says, listen, after this manner, here's how you pray. Our father, which art in heaven. Here he goes with the kingdom. What he's showing here is, is that the kingdom is not based on just a bunch of nice actions. It's it's based on relationship with the father. And, and you have to understand this principle because... If people understood the nature of prayer and of giving uh, and, and of fasting, um, they, they would not uh, be prideful if they understood, mm, if they understood the nature of it. If you understood the nature of prayer, giving, and fasting, then there would be a produced humility, not not a pride. For, for, for example, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it is, he says that I was one born out of due time, he said. He said, I was one born out of due time. Um, I, I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Look what he says. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul says to the church in Corinth that I labored in grace. 
Now, this is profound because the question arises then, how do you work in unmerited favor? I'm about to help somebody on this podcast. He said, I labored more abundantly than they than them all, but it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God that which was with me. So, so he said, I'm laboring in grace. Grace is helping me labor. How do you labor in grace? Um, um, and in Romans, he says that that in grace, work is not work. So, so I'm getting somewhere here. Well, what he's saying here is, is that no one could ever brag about how long they pray because it's only grace that's giving them the opportunity to pray. We are saved by grace through faith. Grace is God's hand reaching down. Faith is man's hand reaching up. So God gives grace as an opportunity for us to respond to it. And Peter would later say, you grow in grace. How do you grow in unmerited favor? Here it is. Grace grows the more you respond to it. And I'm about to teach this principle. Grace grows the more you respond to it. So no one could ever brag about how much they pray, how much they give, how much they fast, or how much they read the Bible. Why? Because grace is the thing that even allowed them to do it. So man can never glory in his piety. Man can never glory in his righteousness because the fuel is coming from God. I'm going to help somebody here. So I'm going to give a for instance. Say you come to church for the first time and when you come to church for the first time, you respond to the message and God, God impresses on you to start praying for 15 minutes a day. And so God gives you grace to pray 15 minutes a day. So you go home and you start praying 15 minutes a day. And as you're praying like that for a month, all of a sudden, grace starts growing. Now, God says, you did well with that 50 minutes a day. I'm going to give you grace to pray 30 minutes a day. Because grace is growing the more you respond to it. And so you start praying 30 minutes a day, and God's graced you for that. It's not coming from you. It's coming from God. It is he that, that works within you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Um, and so you start praying 30 minutes a day, and God's like, well, you're doing good. I'm going to give you grace to pray an hour a day. You see, no one gets saved and starts praying six hours a day. Why? Because you didn't get an opportunity for grace to grow. No, no one just becomes a, a prophet or, or someone over overnight. There, there has to be a, a time of grooming by grace where it allows you to be conformed to his image. And so it will give you things in increments that as you respond to it, those increments grow and become more often. So now you're praying an hour a day because grace allows you to. Now, 
So you can never brag about praying an hour a day because you're not the source. The source is your relationship with God. It is God's grace that is allowing you to do that. So you can never glory about your prayer life. Victor Jackson can never brag about how spiritual he is because I am not the source. Grace is the source. I can't brag. It's the grace of God working within me. So even with this podcast, I, I cannot do this in my flesh. It's grace working in me and through me. And so let's, let's talk about this. So say you come to church and God graces you to start praying 15 minutes a day. Here it is. But you do not respond. You don't respond to that grace. So the next day, you still don't pray for 15 minutes. The next day, you still don't pray for 15 minutes. Hear this. 30 years in church, and you never responded to that grace. After being in church for 30 years, you still have 15 minutes of prayer hanging over your head, and you didn't give grace an opportunity to grow in your life. I'm helping somebody here. See, it's all about relationship. Now I'm not being I'm not being forced or pulled by the culture or by the competition or by what's around me. Now I'm being pulled by relationship. That is healthy fuel. Now it's not vain repetitions. I'm not praying a magic prayer to get what I want. That's how people treat God. That's vain repetition. That's that's pagan. To, to, to do a hocus pocus or, or, or recite the, the same thing over and over and over and again to, to make it like a quick way to get what you want by bypassing relationship. You, you cannot bypass relationship. Um, relationship is critical. And so, for instance, when I first uh, got saved, uh, I was so zealous for God. I said, Lord, I said, Lord, he said, I said, Lord, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go on a 40 day fast. And God was like, well, that's cute. I'll, I'll give you grace to skip a meal. So I start skipping a meal. Then after skipping a meal for a while, I come back to God. God, I'm ready to go on a 21-day fast. And God's like, well, that's cute. I'll give you grace to fast a day. So then I say, God, I'm ready to do uh, a a a, a three-day fast. I'm ready to do a seven-day fast. And God says, well, that's cute. Well, I'll give you grace to fast three days. So finally, I come to God after this battle over and over and over again. I come to God and I say, God, how long do you want me to fast? You see, you see that in my relationship with God, he began to influence my speech. Prayer is about relationship. It's about communication. 
is not a monologue of vain repetition, but it is a dialogue. It is the listening. It is listening in the silence. It is praying. It is speaking and waiting. This is what prayer is. And and the truth of the matter, if, if prayer was just a magic formula, uh, God would be to blame for a lot of destruction in our lives. Because he would give us things before we have the character to handle it, which would lead to our destruction. Because some of us pray for things that our character can't handle. See, see, prayer is about the Father's influence upon us. It's about the Father's influence upon us. You see, some people, when they pray, they think it's got to be the thousand thieves. Thou, O oh God, art, art the Father above all. You art the lily in the valley. You are the rose of Sharon. You are thee, I come. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That ain't you. You pray like that. But then when you talk to people, you're like, yo, man, what's up, bro? How you doing, dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like people do these acts, and that's the hypocrisy of it. People do these acts in front of people, and God's like, that's not how you talk. I need you to be authentically you. He understands the prayer of a little child. A child may not, may not know how to convey their prayer properly, but, but the Father's influence will help their speech. Oh my, I'm helping somebody. So so if my son comes to me, uh, he's seven years old, and he comes to me and says, Dad, I, I, want, I want a Porsche. He doesn't understand what he's asking. He doesn't know about driver's license and driver's permits and all of this. He doesn't understand what he's asking. But I use... My, my influence as a father to redirect his prayer and say, son, you know what? I'll start you on a toy, on a toy bike. I'll, I'll, I'll start you on a bicycle because that's what you have the character for. You see, you want to pray the will of God because he knows what you have need of before you ask. He knows what you need and he knows what your character can handle. That's why it's a great prayer to say, God, I submit to your will, whatever you want to do in my life. It, it is better to ask amiss than to not ask at all. It is better to ask the wrong questions in prayer than, than to not ask at all. I, I would rather my son ask a foolish question asking for a Porsche than to sit in a corner and never talk to me. You see, because if he never talks to me, that means we don't have a relationship. But if he's talking to me with his wild requests like I had when I first came to church, I love it because I can use my influence to direct him. This, what Jesus is establishing in the kingdom is, is the priority of relationship. Because if we have relationship, God will work everything out. He'll work with our, our intellect. He'll work with our deficiencies. He'll work with our, with our weaknesses. But the issue is, is that 
relationship has to be the priority. That's why he starts off this prayer. This is how you pray. Relationships are priority. Our Father, which art in heaven. You are my Father, and I recognize that that you are greater than than where I am right now. I'm on earth, you're in heaven. I recognize that you are on the throne. I come to you humbly, Father. I recognize where you are. I recognize where I am. And because I recognize that, your name is hollow. Your name is holy. Your, Your name is holy. You are the ruler above all things. I recognize your authority in heaven. I, and, and, and you have the authority over everything and, and you're holy. And, and Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. And your name is holy. See, that's a respectful relationship. And then, and then the disciple prays, thy kingdom come. We want your kingdom. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you, whatever you have for your kingdom, we want it to be established in real time. That is the, the faith of a disciple that prays the kingdom down into its midst, that it's not enough for just the kingdom to be in heaven. It's not enough to be the kingdom of heaven. It has to become the kingdom of earth. It has to come down. The the miracles that are laid up in in heaven, I need it to come down in earth. Uh, The the revival that's laid up in heaven, I need it to come down in earth. Uh, The the healings that are laid up in heaven, I need to come down in earth. The peace that's up there in heaven, I need it to come down to earth. And I understand there's no there's no suffering and there's no there's no depression and there's no weeping in heaven. And and that doesn't help me because I need heaven to come right down here into earth. I need heaven to do something now. I need the kingdom to come and I need your will to be done. Whatever will you have for us in heaven, God, let me be a vessel that you can do this in earth. Wow, that's powerful. Help me to be a vessel to accomplish your will here in earth. What can I do to expand your kingdom today? Give us this day our daily bread. God, take care of of my physical needs, my physical and my spiritual needs. Let me get the bread of life, the bread of your word. And God, don't, don't don't let your daughter or son go hungry. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for you to wash us and to cleanse us. And and with that healthy fuel, recognizing, Father, that you have forgiven me, I will extend that forgiveness to others. That's how you learn to forgive. You think about all the things that God has forgiven you of in your life, all the things that he's washed away, all the things that that he has has, uh, covered so you might have relationship with him, and that is going to be a healthy fuel for you to forgive someone else. 
He forgave us. What did he say on the cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Our sins put him on the cross. Our sins are the things that drove his those nails into his hands and those nails into his feet and that spear into his side. It was, it was our sins that put him there. And you know what? You know what? Through what he did, he forgave us. So if Jesus is willing me to willing to forgive me for for my sins and for my past transgressions, that's going to be the healthy fuel of some to forgive somebody that's lied on me. To forgive someone that's tried to harm me, to forgive someone that's done something wrong. That is the healthy fuel of the kingdom. It comes from a place of relationship and not from a place of ritual or liturgy or, or, or anything or tra- something from tradition, but it's something that is fueled only by God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. What he's saying here is, is don't put me in a situation uh, that 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 could tempt me to sin. Don't 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 allow any situations to occur that puts me in a compromised position. Deliver us from evil. God doesn't tempt us. But what he's saying here is, is that you know my personality, you know my weaknesses, you know my strengths. Uh, please protect me from being in any situation uh, that could put me in the place of temptation. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, Proper relationship with the Father will lead to proper relationship with one another. If you think you're close to God, pay attention to how you're treating uh, his people. And if you're not treating them right, then you have to uh, question where your standing is with God. Amen? Amen? The importance of forgiving others, the kingdom, this is a kingdom principle on forgiving others. And we talked about processing forgiveness properly. We talked about this. But to extend that forgiveness to others, like you have been given, that's the context. We got to look to the Father. If you have a tough time forgiving somebody, go ahead and look at your relationship with the Father. Go ahead and look at what he's forgiven you of. And once you start thinking about what what you've been forgiven of, then you have the healthy fuel to forgive someone else. Later, we're going to talk about the parable that he gives about the man that owes 10,000 talents. And he gets forgiven. They're about to take his family and everything, and he gets forgiven. And when he gets forgiven, he goes and... uh, and he finds his servant that owes him money and throws him into the dungeon. When the master heard about it, he called him back. He said, why didn't you forgive like I forgave you? And the Bible says he was speechless. And so they threw him into the dungeon so he could pay back 10,000 talents. Do you know what 10,000 talents is? That was more money that was circulating through all of Jerusalem. 
It was an impossible sum. There was no way that that guy could pay that back. So when he said, give me some time, I'll pay it back, he was lying. He didn't have the authority, the energy, or the time to pay back that amount. But he goes to someone that that owes him a much less, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a year's wages. He goes to him and and takes him by the neck and is about to hurt him, because he. But he's not considering what he was just forgiven of. He's not he's not remembering what he was just forgiven of, and so. And so what Matthew is doing here is showing a new standard, the standard of the Father, the standard of the kingdom that is not built on our cultural acceptances around us, but it's built around the presence of the Father. It's built around the relationship with, of the Father and that that is the reward that we are aiming for because the Father will reward us. That is the reward that we're aiming for something that comes from God, not something that comes from men. I pray that this has been a blessing. Uh, I wanted to stop there uh, because we're going to get into the rest of this tomorrow, but uh, give me some feedback. Uh, send us a message on social media. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. We love and appreciate each of you. Matthew is presenting the concept uh, that it's a new standard. It's a new day. It's a new new wineskin. It's new wine. It's different. And because it's different, because it's different, it's going to affect the world. It's, it's countercultural. Jesus has literally come to turn the world upside down. So from the first time he starts, opens his mouth, he's already in resistance to culture because he's speaking revolutionary principles that are marching to the beat of heaven, not the beat of the world. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, For more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.